Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 22 through 34. 1988, Bobby McFerrin released this song, and it goes a little like this. I'm not going to sing it, but I think you'll, you'll know it. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. What? Be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord said your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Here, I give you my number. When you worry, call me. I make you happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no style. Ain't got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry. Be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown, and that will bring everybody down. So don't worry. Be happy. I hope you learn note for note like good little children. Don't worry. Be happy. Now listen to what I said. In your life, expect some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. But don't worry. Be happy. Be happy. Well, there's a reason that song uh, was popular and and you could finish that line uh, without me even giving you one hint. It's because that song does speak to something that we face in life for honest on a daily basis. And that is the opportunity, the circumstances where we would have the option of worry. I put it that way because we're never forced to worry. It is always a choice to worry. Sometimes our circumstances are not optional. They come and we may not have chosen those particular set of circumstances, but worry is a choice. And yet we find ourselves, if we're honest, worrying, choosing to worry uh, all the time. Some of us maybe struggle with that a little bit more than others, but I think it's something that we all struggle with in its own way. Now, we're going to be in this passage in Luke chapter 12, and last week we were in verses 13 through 21. 13 through 21. And we were looking at, um, at this man who, basically, he was greedy. He was coveting. He wanted more and more stuff, and he was going to place his hope in that stuff. It was about having an overabundance of possessions and placing your hope in those possessions. But today we move from the sin of greed or covetousness to the sin of worry. And they are connected. They are connected. In fact, this passage today comes right on the heels of Jesus' parable about the rich man who stored up all of his possessions and trusted his security in his possessions. Because... Everyone in that crowd that Jesus was talking to would not have been in the position of this man who was tempted to look at all this stuff that he had or could potentially have and trust in those things. There were also those in the crowd who didn't have much. And yet they could sin just the same way as the one who had a lot. One person put it this way, greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it may not have enough. 
And both are extremely dangerous. So today we turn our attention to this passage that speaks to this issue, really, not just an issue, a sin of worry. You're going to see the word anxious, you'll see the word worry, we'll use those interchangeably. Let's read this passage, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is rich in truths that are applicable to our lives, that help us lead lives that bring you honor and praise, help us to lead, lead lives that, are, that, that, that bring us satisfaction as we do what we were created to do, and that is to glorify you. But Father, we need your help, and so we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would speak the beautiful truths of this passage into our hearts and lives. Father, if we need to be convicted, Father, I pray that you would, um, as, a, as a loving Father, does and has to do from time to time that you would you would prick our hearts and even though it may hurt a little bit father that you would you would lead us to jesus and we would find healing and hope and father that we would be able to put off the sin of worry that so often plagues us in jesus name we pray amen concerned you're not going to get the grades that you want. News that the tests came back negative and it is cancer. That email or maybe call to the boss's office that says you no longer have a job. Wondering if my spouse is being faithful. A child who seems to have lost his way in life. That phone call that someone you love dearly has passed away. The, the envelope that you open up, and it has that number at the bottom with the words, do immediately. And you don't know where that money is going to come from. 
those are circumstances that are real in our lives. That's life. And maybe not all of those circumstances are things that we'll all face, but we'll all face something similar, at least, to those things. And, and that's what Bobby McFerrin was, was hitting on in a, in, a, in a fun, fun, upbeat-oriented song. But those issues, those problems are real in our lives. To try to deny that is to deny reality. Now, all of those are circumstances where we can be tempted to worry. I want to start with this statement, and I think it's so important because that we, that we understand this as we get started with this passage. Because the word worry, we throw that around all the time. We use it, oh, I'm worrying about this, oh, yeah, I'm worrying about that. And we wouldn't ever throw around other sins like that. I don't, I don't walk around going, oh, yeah, I was lusting today. Oh, yeah, just a little, I, this thing happened and, I, and I, I, found I was lusting. I don't, I don't just share that. I don't walk around saying that. But we'll walk around saying, oh, I'm worried about her. I'm worried about this. And I think sometimes, one, we get the word worry confused with the word concerned. It's okay to be concerned about someone. God is concerned about us. He's concerned out of love. But he doesn't worry because worry is sinful. And so often we don't think about worry being sinful. It is a sin just like lust is a sin. Just like the previous sin in this passage, greed is a sin. As much as it is wrong for us to covet in the previous passage, it is just as wrong for us to worry. Notice, you say, well, how, how are you saying worry is a sin? I mean, it's, it's not fun. I'd rather not worry, but it's not that bad. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious. Later on he says, nor be worried in verse 29. It doesn't get any simpler than this. Jesus said, don't do something. If you do it, you are disobeying God. That's a sin. Jesus said, do not worry. Worry is sinful. Worry is sinful because it is the overflow of a heart centered on self rather than God. Worry is sinful because it is the overflow of a heart that is centered on self rather than God. Concern is one thing. It's okay to be concerned about someone, but when you worry, when concern becomes worry, now all of a sudden you've taken God out of the picture and you are trusting in someone or something other than Him. So here's what I want, I want to help us walk through this passage in a, maybe a little bit different way than we normally do. We're not, going to be able to, we're not going to have time to look at every single verse. It's a long passage. There's so much here. Uh, I pray that what we do talk about will, will spark your interest to go and study this passage even more throughout the rest of this week. But to begin with, I want to share, you, share with you three things that worry results from that we see in this passage. And then I want to share with you three remedies, three solutions to worry. Okay? So three things that worry results from. Number one, worry results from a lack of faith. Worry results from a lack of faith. We see that in verses 22 through 28. 
Notice, as he walks through, he gives the command, verse 22, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life. Well, anxious about what? About your life, what you're going to eat, about your body, what you're going to put on. These needs in life. We're not necessarily talking about an overabundance as we were in the previous passage we looked at last week. We're just talking about these basic needs, things to eat and things to put on. And then he gives a statement in verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. It's kind of similar to that statement back in verse 15 where he said, where he said life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's a misunderstanding about what life is. Last week we talked about life not consisting in the abundance of our possessions. Here we have life being more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, there's more to life than what meets the eye. There's more to our lives than just the physical, but so often we get so focused on the physical, we miss the spiritual. Then he gives this illustration about ravens, and we'll talk about those in, in, in that illustration in a minute. Then he asks a couple of questions in verse 25. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Then he gives an illustration about lilies, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Then, if you'll skip down to the end of verse 28, here's kind of how he concludes this first section. He says, Oh, you of little faith. He's confronting their worry and his sum, Jesus' sum of it, is that they are lacking in faith. Notice that he doesn't say, oh, you of terrible circumstances. That's what we want to blame our worry on. We want to blame it on our circumstances. Well, if he hadn't have said this, or if she hadn't have done this, or if this hadn't have happened this way, then I wouldn't have had to worry. He doesn't say, oh, you of difficult circumstances. He says, oh, you of little faith. That's a huge statement in this passage. It helps us know that one of the problems with worry is that it's coming from a lack of faith inside of you and me. Worry is not a circumstance problem. It is a faith problem. And a faith problem is not a result of God's faultiness but of our faulty view of God. Whenever there's a crisis of faith in our lives, it's not that God has messed up. It's that we have somehow shifted our eyes off of God and we put it on ourselves. And that's exactly what we see in one of those probing questions. If they're not having faith in God, who are they trusting in? Verse 26 If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that. A small a thing as what? Well, look back at verse 25. Add a single hour to your span of life. He says, says, you're not even able to muster up one little hour extra in your life. So he just points to one thing that we can't do. And he says, if you can't even do that, then, then why are you anxious about the rest? I think what he's putting a finger on there is our tendency to trust in our own abilities. I can fix this problem. It's up to me to make sure that the bill gets paid or this relationship gets reconciled or you fill in the blank in the circumstance. It's all up to me. And then when it's all up to me and My mind is fixed on myself and my ability or inability 
to solve the problem, then the problem grows and it looks even bigger because I'm not capable of doing anything and my eyes are off of the one who can handle the situation, who can provide for my needs. It's this crisis of faith, a lack of faith. Our eyes are shifted from God to ourselves and we're trusting in me I'm trusting in myself instead of trusting in God. Worry results from a lack of faith. Just think back over the past few hours or the past week. Think about something that you worried about. Probably in that moment, you weren't thinking about God. Or if you were, you were thinking about him in the wrong way. Like, well, God must not care about me. And we'll talk about that again in just a moment. But it's the crisis of faith. So whenever I worry, one of the first things that needs to go through my mind as I am worrying is, wait a second, I am not placing my faith in this moment in God. My faith is in someone or something else. It's probably in me. And Jesus has already said, I can't do anything about it at the end of the day. If you're not able to do as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? He points out our inability to highlight his ability so our faith will not be in ourselves, but our faith will be in the one who is more than capable of meeting our needs. Worry results from a lack of faith. But secondly, worry results from a misdirected focus. And this faith problem leads right into this misdirected focus. We're going to come back and look at a couple of these verses, so don't think we're rushing too quickly past them. But let's go on and skip down to uh, down to verse 29 through 33, 29 through 33. Worry results from a misdirected focus. He, he shifts from this thought of of worry and anxiety to seeking after something. He tells us what not to seek after and then what to seek after. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world. Seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So he says, stop seeking after what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Stop seeking after a solution to the circumstances. Instead, seek his kingdom. Then verse 32, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he tells us to seek after the kingdom of God. And then he says it's God's good pleasure to give us what we're seeking after, the kingdom. Verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, or no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So here, here he takes it another step. He's pointed out that it's a problem of faith. If we're worrying, we're not placing the right faith in God. But also... We are so focused on our physical circumstances that we are neglecting the circumstances of the kingdom. Well, what is, what's this talk about kingdom? We see this word in the Bible and sometimes we can read it and we don't think about I mean, what in the world. You ever thought of this is probably a verse that you may even have memorized. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. We love that verse because we love the end of it. All these things will be added to you. But have you ever stopped and thought, well, what in the world does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, I want to I want to take you to another familiar place in God's word, uh, something that we often call the, the Lord's Prayer. And in that, it says your kingdom come, your what will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see the physical and the spiritual there and and what we're to pray in the Lord's Prayer is that God's kingdom would come. What does it look like when God's kingdom comes? 
It's that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? It means to seek the will of God. It means to orient our lives in such a way that the most important thing to us in every circumstance of life is that God's will be done. Now, is that the most important thing in your life whenever you are caught up in worry? Not in mine. I'm not thinking about God's will being done. I'm not thinking about him receiving glory. What what does it look like for God's will to be done? It looks like me having an attitude of thankfulness. That's God's will for my life. How often when I'm worrying am I being thankful? Not very often. What, what does God's will look like in my life? It looks like me sharing the gospel with other people so that his kingdom can enter their hearts as well. That's his kingdom coming. How often am I focused on the lost around me when I am caught up in worry? Not, not often. I would say not at all. You see what he's doing? He's saying, listen, yes, I know that there are needs in your life, but there's something even more important to focus on than just the physical needs in your life. I know those are real. I'm not denying that those aren't there. But instead of focusing on those things, your focus needs to be on the kingdom of God and it coming on God's will being done. Instead of focusing on what you don't have, what you need, focus on honoring the Lord. Focus on reflecting the light of Christ to those around you. Focus on not sinning and living a holy life. That is God's kingdom coming. Worry results from a misdirected focus. One writer said this, How the kingdom lags as we chase after material things. Isn't that so true? Our worrying distracts us from kingdom work. And that will actually play right into one of the remedies that we'll look at in just a moment. But I'm going to share one more truth with you and about what worry results from. And this is the foundation of it all. And it's how he ends this passage. Verse 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Worry results, number three, from a problem with your heart. Worry results from a problem with your heart and a problem with my heart. You say, yeah, but man, look how hard my circumstances are. Okay, I'm not denying how hard they are. Jesus wouldn't deny how difficult your circumstances are. But we, through Christ, can walk through those circumstances without worrying problem is we have a heart problem and our hearts scripture says are sick with sin our hearts naturally bend away from faith in god our hearts naturally run from god's kingdom we are rebels at heart And so instead of naturally trusting in God, instead of naturally seeking the kingdom, our hearts turn the opposite direction. Our hearts turn inward on ourselves. Our hearts say, we can fix it. Or if I can't fix it, there's no hope. Or I'm going to focus on me and myself 
and getting myself out of this situation and I'm going to neglect those around me. That's the problem of our heart. This is ultimately a heart issue. It's not a circumstance issue. So the remedies we can see are going to have to go deeper than just be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. A lot of truth in that song about worry. Not a lot of good advice about the remedy for worry. Well, what is the remedy? We've said this, that worry is sinful because it's the overflow of a heart centered on self rather than God. The second main truth as we transition from the problem of worry to the remedy of worry is this, because worry is a problem of the heart, only Jesus can replace our worry with faith and obedience. Because worry is a problem of our heart, only Jesus can replace that worry with faith and obedience. Now, here's one one problem with the song, the solution given to that song. Don't worry, just be happy. It's really replacing the worry with a feeling, a feeling of happiness. Well, that's not a good replacement for the worry. That's not something that will shove the worry out of our lives. Faith and obedience, though, will shove the worry out of our lives. But the only way we can have that faith and be obedient is if Jesus does a work salvation in our lives. Remedy number one. I'm going to go right back through those three truths, those problems with worry, what they result from, and give remedies. So if, if worry is a faith problem, then you know what's remedy number one. We've got to have faith in God. We've got to have faith in God. Now, before, before I give, give you just a few things, specific things about God in this passage, we're going to see that we want to have faith in. Let me say this. This isn't, well, there's a bill that needs to be paid and I don't really have the money, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and have faith in God. That's not what this passage is calling us to do. This passage is not calling us to laziness, as one writer said, but it is calling us to faith as over against anxiety. Okay, so this isn't a call to laziness. I'm going to sit back and do nothing. But as I do what I'm supposed to do in seeking the kingdom, I'm going to trust that God has this and he will meet my needs exactly how he wants to in his own time. Well, what what do we need to have faith in? Let's look in this passage. One thing that we need to have faith in is that God values you. We need to trust that God values us. I think sometimes we forget that. We see, we, we, we see God as this, this great, high, powerful God that probably doesn't care much about me. Sometimes we have the opposite. We think God cares an awful lot about us, like we're the center of his universe. Well, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. We don't want to go there either. He's the center of the universe, not us. But sometimes we struggle with the truth that God actually does care about us. God cares about you so much. Whatever you're going through right now, he cares immensely. And he places much value on you. That's these illustrations that we see here. Verse 24, he says, think about the ravens. 
Think about the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Notice what Jesus says of how much more value are you than the birds. And then he gives another illustration. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the greatest kings ever, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? No, notice, notice what Jesus is saying. You're, you're scurrying around thinking God doesn't care and you, you are the answer to your problems and it's causing this worry inside of you. He says, look at the birds. God says, I'm taking care of the birds. Look at the flowers in the field. I'm taking care of the flowers in the field. How much more valuable are you than they? I could get off on a rabbit trail there and say that's actually newsflash for our society that likes to value plants and animals more than human beings. But that's not what Scripture says. God cares for the flowers and God cares for the animals, but they're not humans. And humans are God's special creation. Only humans are created in the image of God. If God is caring for the parts of his creation that aren't made in his image, don't you think he's going to care for the creation that is made in his image? You see, whenever we worry and we think that God is not caring, that's a slap in the face of our creator. Saying, oh, God doesn't care about his special creation. God's saying, yes, I do. Don't tell me that I don't. And that's what our worry is communicating. Our worry is a lack of faith that God values us. And Jesus says part of this faith that we need to have is understanding that God does value us. No, he doesn't make us the center of the universe because we are not. But he loves us and he cares for us. Another thing that we want to have faith in God concerning is that he knows our needs. We need to have faith that God knows what you need. Notice this phrase here in verse 30. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. God not only loves you, he's all knowing. Whenever we worry, part of that sin is that we're not trusting that God is as knowledgeable as he is. Well, God doesn't, must not know what I need, so I've got to worry about it. God knows exactly what you need. In fact, I would argue that God knows better than you what you need. I know that's been true in my life where I thought I knew what I needed, but God knew a whole lot better. So one of the remedies is to trust, to have faith that God is all-knowing. He's an all-knowing God. He knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you need today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And as long as he gives you life here on this earth, he knows exactly what you need. He values you and he knows what you need. And third, look at his desire. Look at verse 32. 
Not only does your father know what you need, but in verse 32, your father, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He desires to give you the kingdom. He says, reorient your mind to, to, and this will be the second remedy in a moment, reorient your mind to the kingdom, and God's going to give it to you. Notice His graciousness. It's a gift. Not something we earn, but it's a gift. He'll help you do what He's called you to do. But we've got to have faith that He will. We have to have faith that He values us. We've got to have faith that He knows what we need, and we've got to have faith in His goodness towards us. Notice that it's God's good pleasure it's not us twisting his arm. Oh, man, they're asking again for my help. I guess I'll have to help them out. It's his good pleasure to do these things. It's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And what did verse 31 say? As we seek the kingdom, all these other things will be added to us as well. All our needs will be met. We'll have exactly what we need to do what God calls us to do every moment of every day as we place our faith in him and in him alone. Remedy number one. We've got to have faith in God. Let's not be a people that Jesus would accuse of having little faith. Remedy number two. That focus. Remember, worry results from, from a misdirected focus. Remedy number two. Focus your life on God's kingdom. Instead of focusing Simply on your circumstances, on what's around you, on the doctor's report, on the news about your child, on what the boss said, on that envelope in the mail. Instead of focusing simply, it's not that those things don't matter. They do. But instead of focusing only on that, we need to focus on the kingdom of God. One of the remedies is, is, is simply obedience. Faith, that was the first remedy. Obedience to God is the second remedy. I was talking to a pastor um, one day this week, and we, this passage came up, and, and we were talking, uh, talking about it. I said, one of the things that stri just strikes me as I've been studying through this passage is, is again, my temptation is to say, man, I, I, I don't need to worry because worry is a sin. So the answer is stop worrying. Just stop, stop worrying. Just stop it. Stop, stop worrying. All right, Zach, uh, you're worrying about this. Stop worrying. But now I find myself worrying some more. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's this passive, passive attempt at getting beyond worrying. But the remedy isn't passive. It's actually an active remedy. We are actually supposed to pursue obedience to God. Remember, that's what the kingdom is. Obedience to God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That means I am submitting my life to your purposes and your will. I'm going to seek to do what you want me to do. That's obedience to God. One of the remedies of worry is to be obedient to what God has called us to do in his word. And we know that's probably one of the remedies because one of the results of not worrying is not being obedient. When we worry... We tend to stop being obedient. So it makes sense that one of the remedies for worry is to get back in the game of the kingdom and start serving the Lord. One writer said this worry is a great inhibitor of action to live and worry is to miss what life is all about. Remember, verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Well, what is life? 
What is it? It's to serve God. To make Him known. To work for His kingdom purposes. That's greater than any physical endeavor that we would seek to accomplish. Chasing after the riches of this world. Whether it be more than we need. Or even just what we need. Our main focus is to be on God's kingdom. Notice what he says. We can focus your life on God's kingdom by living for the glory of God. I just simply gather that from the fact that it's his kingdom. It's not ours. You know, you know, you know, when we when we struggle with worry the most, I think that sin of worry is when we're trying to build our own kingdoms. When I'm so focused on the kingdom of Zach. When you're so focused on the kingdom of insert your name. That's when we tend to worry. But if my mind was focused on his kingdom, his glory, his reputation, not my own reputation, but God's reputation. Through my life. Then those worries seem to not seem quite so big in light of the kingdom of God. So we focus our life on God's kingdom by living for the glory of God. But this is so, so uh, interesting, revolutionary when we consider the world and what the world's answer to worry would be. Not only do we live for the glory of God, but we focus our life on the kingdom of God by living for the good of others. Living for the good of others. This is where that sin of worry is revealed in its inward focus. When I am worrying, I am thinking about myself. And even if I say, well, actually, I'm worrying about this person over here. But if I'm not trusting in God in that, my worry is centered on what can I do to fix the situation? What can oh, I can't do anything? Oh, I'm worrying now. Instead of thinking about God for that other person's good. Living for the good of others. So interesting what he says. Okay. He's talking to people who are worried that they're not going to have something to eat or clothes to put on their body. And notice what he tells them to do. This is this is crazy. Only Jesus can can say something like this. He says, fear not, little flock, in verse 32. Don't 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 be don't be afraid. Don't have fear. Don't worry. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 33. Go sell what you have and give it to the needy. Whoa, wait. I think we misread that. Let's do it again. Fear not. Don't worry that you, you're not sure if you're going to have something to eat today. Here's what I want you to do. Go sell what you do have and give it to the needy. Wait a second. I think we actually read that right. What in the world is Jesus saying? I mean, has Jesus lost his mind? Oh, well, I could see him telling this to the, the rich man in the previous passage that has this overabundance of crops. We talked about that last week. He's got to build bigger barns because he, he doesn't have anywhere to store it all. I mean, we could see Jesus saying, telling that man, go sell your stuff and give it to the needy. And I think that would probably have been a good, good thing for him to do. But even the person who's worried about what they're going to eat tomorrow. He says, sell what you have and give it to the needy. Now, Jesus isn't against owning things. We can see that all throughout Scripture. We don't have time to talk about that. But here's what he is concerned about. Here's what he is against. Us 
being consumed with us. <laughs> me being consumed with me in such a way that I'm neglecting serving him and his kingdom. He says, you know what? You know what would be a great way to get rid of that worry in your life? Stop thinking so much about yourself and go serve other people. You're not going to get that from the world. That's Jesus. You, 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 want to, you want to get rid of worry in your life? I want you to look around you. And I want you to find where other people are needy. And I want you to go serve them. And then come back and we'll talk about worry. You know what that's going to do? It's going to make that worry just slide right out the window. As we live for the glory of God and the good of others. And here's what happens when we do that. When we live for the glory of God and we live for the good of others, notice the result that we are living for the riches of eternity. We are living for the riches of eternity. Because when we do that, we're providing ourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Here's the truth behind last week's passage about the, the, the man who had everything he could ever want in life, except a relationship with the Lord, and the one who doesn't know where the next meal is going to come from, it's not that God doesn't want us to be blessed with riches. He wants us to be blessed with eternal riches. All throughout this passage, he is getting, trying to get our minds off of us and our current circumstances and put our minds in heaven where our real home is. To say, live for the riches of eternity and leave the, the, the mess of this world to me. Pray, God, your kingdom come. God, I'm more concerned with people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ than I am with where my next meal is going to come from. That's what life consists of. That's where real life, abundant life is found. Where our lives and our minds and our hearts are lifted out. All the troubles around us. And we live for this higher purpose in the midst of the brokenness of our lives. You say, Zach, that all sounds pretty good, but it sounds pretty hard. I say, yep, I'm with you on that one. Incredibly hard. Super hard. Super duper hard. So hard, I don't think I can do it. And I don't think you can do it either. And Jesus knows that. And so that's why the final remedy is this. Don't just try to muster up enough faith on your own. Don't just try to focus on God's kingdom more. Ask God to transform your heart through Jesus. Remember that last verse? What's the ultimate problem? The problem of our hearts. And there is one thing that I know you can't do. You might can do lots of things, but there's one thing you can't do. Same thing I can't do. And that is change our hearts. But I know someone who can. 
and it's the one who's given these instructions. Because not long after he gives these instructions, he carries a cross up to a hill and allows himself to be nailed to it. And he dies to forgive you of your worry. And he dies to rescue you from your worry. And he died to take away your worry. You say, my life is plagued with worry. There's so many things in my life right now that I'm worried about. Can I tell you the remedy? Ultimately, is Jesus. Jesus. A song may be catchy. Don't worry, be happy. But I think I would have to correct it if we really want to wrestle with this worry in a godly way and say, don't worry, be transformed. Let your heart be transformed by Jesus. And as you fix your gaze upon the cross and upon His kingdom and His blood poured out so that you can be a part of His kingdom, And the fact that even our faith, Ephesians chapter 2 says, is a gift from Him. That you would cry out to the Lord and say, God, I can't just stop worrying and be happy. I can't do that on my own. And I don't want to try to do it on my own. What I need is for you to do a work in my heart. And so I confess the worry to you. And I'll receive with a thankful heart the forgiveness of worry that you provide. And then, Lord, by your help, by your grace, by the power of your Spirit, I want to live today without worrying. Facing my troubles, working through my trials, being concerned, but not worrying. In the midst of it all, Father, help me to have faith in you. Help me to focus on your kingdom more than my present circumstances. And ultimately, Lord, help me to look to the cross and be transformed. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Father, thank you for providing forgiveness from the sin of worry. Father, worry, just like that song said, it does affect us and it does affect those around us. Not just that it's not fun to be around somebody that's worrying all the time, but Lord, our worry hinders our service in your kingdom. Father, in fact, our worry affects the lost around us who are dying without knowing who you are And we could be telling them the gospel, but we're so consumed with our own circumstances that we're spending our time worrying instead of working through our circumstances with a quiet peace in our hearts that would shine the light of Christ and the transformation that you have brought to us out to the world around us. Father, I don't know the circumstances that everyone in this room might be going through right now. 
But I do know that every day we are presented with things where we have the choice whether to worry or to trust you. Father, I pray that by the blood of Jesus, you would help us to trust you. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.